Okay, hi everybody, welcome to this class. I'm Parsha Kisista. I first would like to thank my sponsors. This class is being learned as a special schos Rafur Shalema for Malka Hadassa Bas Mushkarus and Mushkarus Bas Bela Daba, Yoshua Ben Mazal, Bela Aliza Bas Sarafega, Grindel Leia Bas Fega Chaya. Chaya. They should have a Rafua Shalema Bakarov. This class is also being learned as a special plot for Shidduchim, the car for Chayisara Bas Yona Tova, and Yita Bas Adina Chava. They should find their Zivag Hagan, the Karov. This class is also being learned as a very special plot for Eloy Nishmas, Fegamala Bas David, Yikusil Ben Moshe, Yitzchak Menachem Ben Ramir Halevi, Chandvar Bas Braindel. No, Han Barbas Asher Enzo. And Hashem Shehavan Aliyah. And Aaron Mir Ben Shalom Ezra. And Hashem Shehavan Aliyah. Okay. And Han Barbas Brangel should find his divag, the courage. Okay, it's the names that. Okay. So this week's Parsha is Parsha But before I begin speaking specifically about this week's Parsha, I want to share with you all a story that I heard this week that's just we can really use to help us live our life, help us with the with the ups, with the downs, so everything that comes our way and give us a new perspective on how to act and react. So I heard this from Mrs. Ami Agubi. She said she heard it in the Rabbi Nachman story. It's something she said her mother would read to them stories of Rabbi Nachman. And I would love to, if it's the children's book, I'd love to you know, find that. It would be amazing for me to read to my children. In any event, the story goes like this. He was this man, and he was a very poor man, and he was digging, digging. Um, what would, he would do is he would dig in the ground, make clay, make things out of clay, create clay, and he would sell it for a profit, whatever he could get. So as he's digging one day, he comes, he stumbles upon a diamond, and he finds a beautiful diamond, and he is so excited about it. He brings it to the jeweler. The jeweler looks at it and says, listen. This diamond is worth something else. It's worth millions of dollars. I can't afford it. You need to take it to a place that can afford it. And I, he recommended go to England because they are their jewelers who can afford to pay you out what this diamond is actually worth. And he said, but I don't know. I don't have any money to get to England. How am I going to get there? And the jeweler said, I re- highly recommend you borrow money and just get yourself to England, whatever it takes. So he borrowed money. And by the time he re- got to the port city to get onto the boat, he was already out of the money that he borrowed. So he approached the captain and he showed the captain his diamond and he said, I have this diamond. I don't have anything else, but I'm really, I'm going to get paid for it tremendously. Trust me. If you let me ride on your ship, I will pay you back very well once I cash out this diamond. And the captain liked him a lot. He was, had a good personality, you know, something about him. There was this positive, you know, energy and the captain let him on. And not only did the captain like him, but everyone liked him from the high class to the middle class to the low class. He was very well liked all around. People wanted to schmooze with him. He was treated very well. He was given a higher class cabin to sleep in. He was treated, you know, because, you know, look, he has this diamond that's worth millions of dollars. He's going to be, he's a very wealthy man. And he enjoyed his stay a lot. He never was treated this way. and He really was enjoying himself. One of the perks that he had was that he'd get to eat his lunch and his meals in his cabin privately. He'd get a special food delivered, room service, right? Nothing like room service. And he would sit 
in his cabin eating his dinner or lunch. And something little interesting that he would do is he would also, he'd put his diamond on the table and kind of talk to it and just, you know, I'm so excited. We're going to soon be in England and I'm going to cash you in and I'm going to become a rich man. I'm going to be able to buy my wife all these beautiful things. And he would talk to the diamond, like, you know, just getting all excited and all, you know, excited. Anyways, he ate his meal, the diamond was on the table, and because he ate a little bit too much, he fell asleep. And while he was sleeping, the busboy comes in, sees that the table has crumbs, and he's finished his meal, wraps up the tablecloth, goes to the window, and shakes it out the window. Puts it back on the table, like quietly tiptoes out the door of the room. And lo and behold, this man wakes up, and to see that his diamond is gone, he is Osmensch, I don't know what a better word to say. He is just, and when I heard the story, I was like, no, I couldn't even bear to hear it. I'm like, the diamonds, you know, like when you know something, when you watch something's happening, I feel like that's a little bit like after 120, when we're going to see our lives, we're going to be like, no, don't do that, right? Like, because we, we're going to see everything's going to make sense. And we're going to wonder why we acted maybe certain ways. I, I think of that sometimes. But anyway, he was upset. He was he was distraught. He went over to his his bed. He started crying, hot, heavy tears. He didn't know what he's gonna do. He was afraid for his life. The captain might throw him overboard when he finds out that he lost his arms. He lost everything that he had. But he decided, you know what? There's nothing I can do about it now. There's nothing I can do about it. There's no point in me coming out all upset and all oh and all just distraught and angry. There's no point. It's just going to get me into trouble. I'm going to pretend everything's okay. I'm going to put a smile on my face. I'm going to come out. I'm going to still smooth with everyone like I've been doing. And when I get to London, I'm going to figure something out. Like probably he was thinking Hashem's going to help, but I don't remember for sure. But probably that's what he was thinking. Something's going to work out. Not an easy thing to do, human beings that we are, right? You Sometimes a lot of times what we feel inside, it just comes out. But he pushed through. He opened his door. He went out. He went back to schmoozing, smiling. Inside his heart was pounding like you could imagine. He was thinking, oh, my goodness. But he put on his face a smile as if nothing's wrong. All of a sudden, he gets summoned by the captain, calls him for a private meeting in his quarters. He's like, gulp. Did he figure something out? Is some, did something did he... Pick up that something's off with me. Is he going to ask me to see the diamond? He got very worried, but he followed the captain's orders. He went up to his private quarters and the captain was sitting there and he said, you know, I don't know what this guy's name was, but he said, I like you. But from the minute I met you, there's something about you. And it's not because of the diamond that you have. And it's not because the money promised me. There's something about you that I like. I trust you. And I have a business proposition for you. Underneath this boat that we're on, I I bring in, I import and export wheat. I have tremendous amount of wheat in the bottom of this boat. And when we dock in England, there is a sell, a buyer that is waiting to buy all the wheat that I brought. The problem is the customs here, they don't like me very much and they don't like that I'm captain and I'm also doing business. And a lot of times they give me a very hard time and they get my, my, my stuff, my wheat, whatever it is that I'm selling, they keep it in customs. They don't let it out. But you, they don't know you. You're going to be this guy with a bunch of wheat. They're not going to question you. You're, you're, you're like a posture person. I have a business or opportunity for you and it will help me as well i'm going to sign that all the wheat i'm going to sign your name on all this wheat that it belongs to you but you know really it belongs to me it's not doesn't belong to you and you're gonna exchange have this deal exchanged and when the wheat seller is going to pay you you're going to give me the money but i'm going to give you a nice amount just for doing me this mitzvah for this chesed. and don't worry so you'll win i'll win we'll all win it'll be one big beautiful and this man is like oh my goodness 
okay, like he's thinking right, like, okay, at least he'll have something, right, from the little bit of money that he's going to make from the exchange, something to have. The boat docks in England, everyone's getting off, and all of a sudden, this captain puts his hand on his heart and collapses. This captain has a heart attack and dies. And the man is like, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. And all of a sudden, he hears his name being called. They're saying, you own all this wheat, take it, it's here, take it. And before he knows it, he sees the buyer. They have the exchange. The buyer is waiting for the wheat. He sees the wheat. They make the exchange. And all of a sudden, the buyer of the wheat starts to pay out all the money that the wheat's worth. And he counts it up, hands it to this man. And it ended up being more money than what the diamond was even going to be worth. The wheat was worth so much more. So he ended up becoming tremendously wealthy. Nothing happened. No one had to know about the diamond. The wheat gave him enough money him to live out the rest of his life the lesson that we learn here is that the diamond wasn't his ticket to riches and wealth the diamond was actually his nisayon hashem gave him this nisayon to see what's going to happen you think you struck it rich right you think you're counting on it you're already dreaming you're talking to it like it's like what are you going to do with it then you lose it hashem wants to see how you're going to act how you're going to behave had he just succumbed to his feelings and would have just become like distraught and pale and white and not be able to look at anyone and angry and start throwing things because like how could this happen to me what did i do i'm such a good person i'm so everyone likes me like what's going on then it would have he would have given it away and everyone would be like oh my gosh what's going on like what happened and they would have figured out something happened and the captain would have been like oh i'm not making a deal with this man but the fact that he was able to hold it all together and to still put a smile on his face and to still come out persevere and say you know what Something's going to work out. I'm going to still put a smile on my face because like I tell my students a lot of times, our faces are public property. Sometimes we feel like we're in a bad mood. We can look like we're in a bad mood. We're human beings. Okay, yeah, we are human. But to look like we're in a bad mood is not such a, it's not really so fair because we don't see our faces, right? Yeah, we look in the mirror, we make sure our makeup's on, our shape is good, whatever it is, like we look okay, right? And then we go out and we don't see our faces for the rest of the day. Everyone else does. So this is just something to think about. I love this story because it like it teaches that sometimes, you know, we see things and we're so excited about it and we feel like we have this like vision of what it's going to be. And then it falls through and we're like, what? How could it fall through? But maybe that's the test that Hashem's looking at us and saying, how is she going to handle this Nisayon? How is she going to be? Is she going to have a tantrum like a two-year-old or is she going to, you know, act her age and have a moon and be like she always talks, she does, right? Obviously, it's easy to talk. I always say, you know, we, but it's that's where we start. We start by talking. We start by hearing it. That's where it all begins. And we have to keep talking about it and keep hearing it. And eventually, it does penetrate and settle. And like we always say, Hashem should take all the knowledge that we know in our minds and bring it to our hearts so we should actually be able to live it. But it was such a great lesson. I loved it. So I feel like the next time I'm in a situation where I'm feeling like upset, I should never be, but just in case. I feel like I'm going to be like, one second, maybe this is the new sign. This is my losing my diamond. And maybe if I can show Hashem that I'm all smiles and I have a munabitachon that is all for my best, then right around the corner, something fantastic is waiting for me. That's really the point of the story. And I just loved it. Just so, so good. So in this week's Parsha, Parsha's Kisis is just something to like um, understand. I heard this from Rabbi Joey Haber, this idea of, you know, we all know that Moshe Rabbeinu was in Shemayim, right? Getting, like, with Hashem. And all of a sudden, Hashem saw the eagle and was like, oh, my goodness, had to send Moshe down. And Moshe comes down the mountain. And who's waiting for him? His Talmud. His Talmud, Yoshua Benun, the man who's going to actually be his successor, the man who's going to 
actually be the leader who's going to take Klai Yisrael into Eretz Yisrael. So Yoshua Benin is waiting at the foot of the mountain. And Moshe Rabbeinu says, what's all this noise? And Yoshua says, oh, I think there's a war. Because it was like so much noise. And at that point, Moshe Rabbeinu says, no, Yoshua, it's not a war. You're wrong. It's not a war because I don't hear the sound of winning and I don't hear the sound of losing. That's what it says in this week's Parsha. So it's not a war. And if we're just going to freeze that for a minute and just talk about like what just happened. Basically, Moshe just gave rebuke to Yoshua Benun. Yoshua was like, oh, it's probably a war. No, you're wrong. This point, Rabbi Joey Haber highlighted very well, and it's such godless. He says, if you want to be a great person, you need to know how to take rebuke. You need to know how to take feedback and change from the feedback. I'm not talking about the feedback of, oh my goodness, you're amazing. It's great. Just you keep being you. Look at you. You do you. I'm not talking about that feedback. It's great. And we need it also. We definitely do. I'm talking about when we're, someone tells us something that we're doing wrong and gives us real genuine feedback, not to be like, really? I, I, I No, I disagree. I think I'm great. I, I, I don't think I have the problem. Human nature, right away, we like respond with like defense. It's not true. It's not true. I'm really a good parent. I'm really a good listener. I'm really very good at my job. I, I really give it 100%. But all of a sudden, if your boss tells you, you know, I notice something a little bit, you know, when you come in, you check you're on your WhatsApp a lot. Ouch, it hurts. It hurts, but you're going to be aware. And maybe for the rest of the year, you're going to be more careful not to be on the WhatsApp or not to be taking, you know, you know, three hours making sure everyone has the lunch that they're ordering, whatever it is. I don't know. I'm just giving ideas, right? We're going to take the rebuke and we're going to actually become better from it. And that's what makes a person great when they can hear the feedback and they can change. Because for someone to live their life, all their years and to just be told that they're doing everything amazing, they're not working on themselves. And as amazing as everyone is, we're all brought to this world to do Tikkun Hamidos, to work on our Hamidos, to work on the things that are hard for us, uh, to also develop the talents that we have that's also very important. But to understand that it's not always good to hear how awesome we are. It's good to sometimes hear, sometimes, right? Hear the things that we're work that we need to work on and we should hone in on it and work on it. And that's really how a person goes from good to great. That's really godless of a person, someone who realizes where they're going wrong and works on it. And another something godless stick of greatness is to be able to give rebuke. He gave this great example. He said, how many of us have someone who works for us and we don't want to tell them what they're doing wrong. So we just kind of don't say anything because we don't want to hurt their feelings, right? This could also be for a child, right? A child, we don't want to, like, we don't want to burst their bubble. We, they're doing so well. Yeah, okay, so maybe in this other area they could use, but we don't want, right? It's very hard to tell someone what they're doing wrong. It's uncomfortable, but what happens? It builds and it builds and it builds, and all of a sudden you want to fire the employee, employee that you have. But, like, if you would have just told them three months ago, please, I was thinking right away, like, cleaning help. That's what came to my mind, right? Like, they start to slack off a little bit sometimes, and you don't want to, like, mess up because you're so afraid they're going to leave or they're going to want to raise. So you just don't say anything. And all of a sudden, before you know it, they're like, you come home, and it's like, what was done today? And you're just so upset because, really, we should have given them that critique three months ago. Please, all the laundry or the floors need to be mopped before the children come home from school. Whatever it is that you find that's lacking, it also takes godless to give rebuke. Obviously, rebuke should be given with compliments and it shouldn't be given 
all the time because if all of a sudden I become that person who just like, what do you mean? I want to be a great person. I'm going to tell everyone now, all my children and whoever I come and do all the things that are wrong with them so that they'll think me, it becomes too much. And then I just become noise and they get drowned out and they don't want to listen for me and it's too much. So there's a way to do it and to give it, but just understand that that is really godless to be able to take rebuke and to take it in and to change from it and to be able to give rebuke in the proper way. Another point I just want to talk about very quickly in this week's Parsha Kisisa is that we all know that Betzalel, he was 13 years old and Hashem gave him the wisdom how to be the architect of the Mishkan. Like he was 13, he didn't go to architect school. He didn't have like books to read up on. He didn't have like, you know, um, you know, tutorials to watch, right? How did he have all the wisdom? Hashem simply gave it to him. That's all. And we learned from here that we could daven, that Hashem should give us the right wisdom, that we should have the right thoughts, we should make the right decisions, other people the right wisdom. We can actually daven that, you know, our children, before they go to school, Hashem, please make their teachers find favor in their eyes for our children. Let the whatever the teacher thinks to them should be good, right? We can, we could really, really... It's um have it in mind that Hashem should put the right thoughts in people's minds. We could have that koach, that power of tefillah. And I'm going to end with this concept. The last concept I'm going to I just want to bring up is that in Shemayim, when Moshe was in Shemayim with Hashem for forty nights and forty days, it says that Hashem showed Moshe the storage room where he keeps his free gifts. The Otser Matnas Chinam. The Otser Matnas Chinam, he showed it to him. And Moshe was like, wow. Here it says, it says it right here. It says, the Medrash relates that when Moshe was in heaven receiving the Torah, Hashem showed him stores, storehouses filled with rewards and blessings. The largest of all the storehouses, Moshe was told, is Hashem's Otsar Matnas Chinam, the storehouse from where Hashem grants blessings for free to people who do not deserve them. <laughs> so we I did speak about this, that there's this concept, and it's really true and real, that Hashem, we don't deserve anything, right? Everything that Hashem gives us is a tremendous gift and a chesed from Hashem. But there is this place called Matnas Chinam where Hashem just gives like just throws them down, right? We need to work on our, our vessel, that our vessel shouldn't be cracked, right? We discussed this when we're doing Tomah Devar, learning it together, you know, what cracks the vessel. Anger cracks the vessel, jealousy cracks the vessel, a lot of different things. So we want our vessels. So when Hashem throws down the gifts, they come through, right? Different things. But there's also a way to ask for the free gifts. There's also a way to ask. And I'm going to read from this book because it's a very, it's a level and it's not coming from me. It's coming from the Living Amuna on the Parsha by Rabbi David Ashir. So I'm just going to read like the different two paragraphs that bring this point. And it's not from me because I'm also, I'm, I'm going to, I'm hoping to work on myself to feel this way and to ask this way and to be this way. But it takes, it takes a lot. It's because we're Baruch Hashem, we're all human. And okay, here we go. This prayer, it says in this book, is effective. Right, the prayer of asking Hashem, please just give, please can I have this gift, whatever it is that we're diving for from, I don't deserve it, but please can you give it, you know, bestow it upon me, is effective only if one truly believes that he does not deserve anything. The way a person can determine whether he truly believes this 
is by his reaction when he does not receive what he wants. Whether it's in the area of Shaduchim, Parnassah, health, or any other area of life. If he becomes angry and says, why am I not getting what I asked for? Or why does everyone else have it, but I don't? Then he is working under the assumption that he deserves that for which is, he is asking. But if he says, Hashem, you give me so much, and I will never be able to repay you for all the kindness you do for me at all times. If I don't get what I'm asking for right now, I won't feel cheated. Not easy. Not easy, right? Then he truly believes it. This can also be determined by a person's reaction to any blessing or good fortune he receives, right? Also the opposite way. Even something simple, like a good meal, a bed. We go to our kitchen, we turn the faucet on, running water. Everything that we have, a couch to sit on, a table to sit at, like the simple things to feel grateful and say, thank you, Hashem, for giving me so much. I don't deserve it. Then he, is tr- then he truly believes that everything he has is a matnas chinam and, and, and can then access the otzer matnas chinam without losing anything. It says this. And then it just ends off. Where can we where can we um have this kind of kavana when we're davening in our in our tefillah in Shmona Esrei? First of all, it talks about the idea that it starts off at Tachonin Ladam Das, but I just said before that Hashem gives everyone um the wisdom that also to have that in mind, and it's the only bracha that we're actually acknowledging something. We're not asking for something, so just to keep it in mind. I know my sitter is all highlighted and notes, and now I have another thing to put into my sitter. I'm gonna actually like write this in, but it talks about to um it says the Chadushi Harim explains that this blessing sets the stage, right? It's a request, and it and once we recognize that everything is a free gift from Hashem, we will then be able to access everything else that we request. And at the end of the Amidah of Shmona Esrei, and I'm ending with this. We recite Aseleman Shemecha, Aseleman Minacha, Aseleman Torasecha, Aseleman Kedushasecha. Act for your name's sake, act for your right hand's sake, act for your Torah's sake, act for your sanctity's sake. Acknowledging that all the requests we made will be granted not because we deserve them, but because of Hashem's kindness. The Shulchan Orach writes that one who recites these words with the proper understanding will be granted the privilege of beholding the Shechina. So I might just write this little line down in my sitter so that when I say these, this last sentence at the end of Shmona Esri to have in mind, Hashem, you owe me nothing. Everything you give me is a complete chesed, a complete gift. And then this way we'll be granted the, the privilege of beholding the Shekhinah. May we all reach this exalted level of truly recognizing that we do not deserve anything so we can access the unlimited blessings of the Otsar Shalmatnas Chinam. And with that, I want to wish you all a good Chavez. Thank you so much for listening. See you all next week. Thank Have you. Um-